Do you remember the 21st night of September? That's going to be in my head for hours. And your face is going to find concrete real fast. <laughs> Please note that on this episode we are talking about sensitive issues to do with sexual assault, and so we are giving a trigger warning. If you are not comfortable listening further, please take note. Thank you. Welcome to episode 32 of Sibling, Sibling Rants. It's your big brother, Andrew. And your little sister, Bronwyn. And as we sit here in our home in Kitchener, Ontario, we are reminded that these lands are the unceded territories of the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and neutral peoples, and that Waterloo Region is situated within Treaties 3, 4, and the Haldeman Treaty. We recognize and deeply appreciate their historic connection to this region, and we also recognize the contributions Indigenous peoples have made in shaping and strengthening this community with which we occupy. We are grateful for the opportunity to create on these lands together and reaffirm our commitment to truth and reconciliation in our community. Hopefully the same can be said for our prime fucking Minister Trudeau oh, with yeah. the minority <laughs> government again. Oh, I watched the whole, like... I watched. I mean, I do this every election. I watch the polls come in um, because I'm not going to sleep otherwise, right? Like, I'm not somebody who can just go to bed and be like, well, whatever happens, happens. I'm like, must watch. Make sure it's not conservative. <laughs> I'm the go to sleep, but whatever happens, happens. But that's also because I have to be up <sighs> like, at 5 a.m. for work, true. so. I just can't, like, I just know I'm not going to sleep, right? So it's, yeah. anyway. So I watched them and it was just so anticlimactic, you know? Like, no, did I want... I didn't, you know, I didn't want a conservative government in any way. And my pessimist me actually thought we were going to get a conservative mi minority. I assumed we were going to get PPC seats or more PPC seats. Instead, they didn't get it. They lost their only seat. <laughs> so that that was good news. Which um, did you see? Was it you who sent me the TikTok? It was you because you made the TikTok about it of that news with the oh interview. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, so as I was watching, I took, you know what, should I play it? You totally it's, fucking should. Okay, like, y'all, I, I watched this thing earlier because Bronwyn sent it to me, and it is, I have never heard someone more deluded <laughs> in their own grandeur in my life. So and I'm a theater kid, like, I deal with all of the egos, so I deal with all of the delusions of grandeur. <laughs> so to give context, as you're watching the poll come in, the news reports on, and I mean, like, there's all the different news sites are reporting on this, right? So every one of them is doing different interviews and whatnot. So I was watching CBC, and CBC had a reporter in Saskatchewan interviewing with the executive director of... Excuse me. The executive director of the PPC. And uh, they were talking about how, like, Maxime Bernier was getting ready to, you know, give his speech and whatnot. Anyway, just to give you the context. And then Rosie was the main reporter that night. And, and her comments at the end are just <laughs> fucking gold. Uh, so, and she could not, like, she couldn't even stay neutral on it. But, so, <laughs> so I'll play it. It's a, it's a couple of minutes, but I'll play it because I think it's, it's worth it's worth it. So, right, Rosie, I've got a guest to talk to me a little bit about that, but i got an update for you. Uh, as you can see behind me, pretty empty out here in this field right now. That's because I hear the party is inside, and that's where all the media have gone, and that's where most of the supporters are. So Maxime Bernier actually isn't going to do his speech out here. He's going to be doing it inside. And Daniel Tyree is with me right now. He is the executive director for the People's Party of Canada. I want to talk to you about what we have been seeing in Atlantic Canada. How are you feeling about those results? And... Uh, uh, do you feel that that has created 
She was doing that all night, which was funny. Um, but anyway, yeah, we watched that, and I was just kind of like, "Oh my god!" Like I, sc- I had to go back and screen record because I was watching it on my phone at the time, and uh, I had to pause it and go back because it was live. But you can go back and watch things, and I was yeah. like, "I have to screen record this. It's so good." Um, it's just like I, I'm, I'm baffled. That they're like, yeah, our numbers are growing. No one can pull in the numbers we do. Okay, Trump, like, settle down. Yeah. I mean, like, to be fair, they, like we said last week, they've only been, like, really publicly relevant for a couple, of, like, this election and the 2019 election. Sorry, I'm a bad cat mom and I need to go out and get Huntley's food and she's just going to cry throughout this whole thing. So. so you might hear a whole lot of meowing. I tried to shut the door. I'm sorry, I'm a bad cat right mom. I love yeah. you. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so it was just it was just so interesting because like, yes, they have surpassed Greens numbers as like in a lot like in their polling, but <laughs> but Green is, got two seats. This so. is why I'm not a big fan of the polls. I find they are so poorly skewed. Well, and yeah. I I mean like it's yes we need something They're, to give us a measurable uh, you know look into things. But I just don't feel like the polling groups are large enough and that it's targeting a a broad enough audience of people to really get the look at it. Because otherwise, 
it, the PPC would have done way better than mm-hmm. what they did. I don't think they were actually like polling to win. Like I didn't oh, no. look at all of these. The polls are generally fairly accurate in terms of like how Canada tends to vote. So I usually follow them pretty closely. The one for Kitchener Center was not polling accurately because they had the the liberal candidates still on the ballot. Which was Well, and of course, if they win, then the liberals will nominate a new person for that area, right? So, like, that's why they keep them on the ballot. Which also kills me that seven... He had, like, 7,300 votes. Yeah. Still, I'm like, ew. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. One, some people are so diehard liberal that they're not going to vote for anybody else. Two... Some people just had no idea because they weren't paying attention, and the, yeah. this wasn't a lot. This wasn't actually news that was made as big as it should have been. Yeah. Um, and and three, some people are just stubborn, <laughs> so they refuse to vote for anything else. So anyway, I know Huntley. I know you're hungry. I did make you eggs, and you refuse. So it's not entirely my fault. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, so watching the, but yeah, so the PPC. Like, I thought they were going to pull in a few seats. I, like, maybe call me a pessimist, and I don't think it's something that we should, like, I don't think we should use this as proof for, like, them never making it in, because they were polling better than the than the Greens, and they have pulled up relevance really quickly. And I think that that's something to watch out for. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I did notice is they split, like, last election in 2019, they didn't split the conservative vote nearly as much as they did this election and I watched some of the polls come in in certain areas where the conservatives would have won if there was no other option for them to vote like if PPC had not been there for the far right conservatives the conservative candidate would have won and yeah. so that was nice to see and I think that's <laughs> that is my only hope for the PPC party which I hate with an unbridled passion is that they exist solely enough to split the conservative vote that is the only purpose I want them to have I don't ever want to see them actually gain any sort of representation within Parliament. Mm-hmm. Certainly not of any significant stance. But if they can yeah. start to be the dividing line in the Conservative vote, and particularly pull away some of the more extremist representatives yeah. within the Conservative community, both in the parliamentary representatives and within like the general public and voting, right. then that would be, you the, know... My only concern terrible. is the more emboldened they get, the the more followers they're going to get. So it's just, I know. but it was like, it was really gross to see the numbers of PPC voters coming out of Cambridge, for example. But at the same time, it really split the conservative vote in Cambridge, which was nice. Um, it also isn't surprising. No, no, like no. Hey, <laughs> no. For those of you who don't live within the area, Cambridge is the white no. trash yeah. portion of the tri-city. Oh my God. When I first moved into Cambridge, <laughs> cause I've lived in all three cities in this, in, in this area. And when I moved into Cambridge for the first time, I started seeing trucks that, like, didn't just have, like, um, Confederate flag stickers on them. They had, like, actual Ford emblems that had been special ordered with the Confederate flag inside of them kind of thing. And I was just kind of like, ew, this is so gross, right? And you see that all over Cambridge. So, like, Cambridge is definitely where you're going to find the most in this region. But Kitchener Kitchener has has housed... Two of Canada's nine known white supremacist groups in the past hundred years. Two of them. Kitchener used to be the Nazi headquarters of Canada, essentially. And so, and and, and we like to erase that from history. Like, we like to pretend that that's not true. 
It's worth a shot. <laughs> we tried closing the door to keep Huntley out, but it didn't fully close, and Huntley's already starting to push it open. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway. So I do... I, I don't know. I, I worry about it for future, but I'm also hoping with the work that the NDP is doing now to try and really um, grow the young voter base will work in a couple of elections, even if not the next one, to really bring in more NDP votes. Um, but right now, the best bet was to have a minority government. I mean, one, it was it sucked. I told you that was annoying. <laughs> I um, Huntley is now inside the room again. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it just felt at the end of it all, like, it was so anticlimactic. It was so, like, at the end of last night, the liberals and conservatives had the same seats that they had before, and the bloc had lost three, the greens had gained, or no, the greens had gained, had lost one, I believe. Or did Did they? they? I think they gained one. They gained one. And they did elect, like, in Kitchener Center, we went green. Um, and that's not surprising. I really wanted us to go... Orange. I really wanted NDP. B. Sanzubi is um, somebody that I really wanted to see leading our area. But I was actually sad to see how low they ended up with. I know, me too. And that's. It, but here's the thing I am not surprised. Mike Morris is a white man who has done a very good job putting his face all over everything and getting really. Like, literally. Like, since 2019, has been working really hard to get people to keep him in relevance, right? And of course, they reused signs from 2019, so he had them out immediately, and so it's all everybody was seeing in the area. And and he's a white male, and Bisanzubi is not a white male <laughs> or a white woman. <laughs> so yeah. um, she's Palestinian. And, uh, and so, I mean, we have to acknowledge that that plays a factor. Um, I think that they did a really great job with the canvassing that they did, and I think they did a great job building their their voter base. But because of how quick this election is, they didn't have nearly enough time to get started. Their yeah. signs didn't come in early enough, and um, unfortunately, there just wasn't enough of a drive to get her to to win. And I'm sad about the you know I, I all of the problems that I have with the Green Party just they seem to be perpetuated. 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 I'm making up words. Perpetuated (laughs) consistently. Um, Like, it's not... Anyway, it's not isolated incidents, but I find the Green Party um, doesn't address a lot of the issues that, that come up within the party itself, and they like to just kind of erase it and pretend to do this very... Um, well, we're not going to bash anybody. We're playing like no mudslinging here. We're going to do a nice, clean, you know, um, campaign. And then you find out later that the candidate has actually made a lot of women of color feel unsafe. Um, that's something that I actually just saw today. It was posted by a friend, a friend who is indigenous. And uh, it was information from, uh, I believe, another indigenous uh, woman. And she was explaining that her and others had had some really... Uh, traumatic experiences with Mike Morris in the 2019 election that were then never addressed and they had consistently tried to get it to be addressed and it had been denied over and over again and and so it's just it's really upsetting it's also just kind of one of those like of course of course you know the white male wins the campaign over the brown female and he's problematic. Surprise! <laughs> you know, and it's just... And not just problematic, he's causing harm. And and one of the things that this post that I read was talking about is that we just... Why isn't Kitchener Center addressing these things? Like, Raj Saini stepped down because of the, the sexual harassment allegations that came up against him. 
And uh, he was ousted by the Liberals because of that. And, you know, then Mike Morris gets to win the riding after and he's no better. And, and it gets completely, completely like... Uh, glossed over. Glossed over, yeah. Like completely disregarded and, and not even looked at. Um, and then all of a sudden, the day after the election, these things are coming, these things are, are coming forward because like, oh, we can know about it now, you know. Yeah. And it's just, it's, and that's, that's no shade to, to the person that shared it. That's very much like the media. This was reported to the media many times before the election in 2019, and it was never picked up. And that's that's a problem. And this is a problem that I have seen consistently within the Green Party. I'm sure it happens in many other parties, but it is it is something that happens in the Green Party a lot. And the Green Party just never addresses the issues and um, and just try to push this like narrative of we're doing a positive campaign and it just gets glossed over. And so that's really disappointing. You know, I was really disappointed in general that Bisanzubi did not win, but, uh, I mean, we could still keep our fingers crossed for mail-in ballots that, but I mean, <laughs> a, <laughs> no, a, a very safe. large percentage no. of them would have to have come from Kitchener he's, center. He's listed as safe. So it's, he's, he's, yeah. won, the, he's won the, the riding. Um, but it's just, it's, it's things like that that are just so upsetting with politics, you know? Um, and it's why we need to think critically and read the fine print and talk to people who have worked with him before. You know, like we need to do this for all of our candidates. Well, and people um, also just need to get out and vote. Once again, the voter turnout was abysmal. Like when, we, yeah. I think Kitchener Center, we were like what fifty three percent or fifty six. High. Which, oh yeah. I mean, it's it's in comparison okay. to other Reddit, yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, across the country though, those numbers were like really not something? the same. It's usually in the thirty percentage or forty percent or whatever. And, I didn't look it up. So and that's just and that's it, but it's just those percentages are based off of the eligible voter base, so people yeah. who can vote. I actually had uh, one of the girls who's in my show with me. Her partner didn't vote, Ugh. and she's so upset with him, yep. and he doesn't understand why. Which like, whoa! That's, that's I almost a ended separate. Issue. I almost ended a friendship over that in the 2018 uh, Ontario election. Yeah, like literally, almost ended a friendship over it. We fought about it for a while, and uh, and she she does now vote, and I'm really really grateful for that. Um, but there, you know, there if if she consistently did not vote, I probably wouldn't be friends with her still because I can't like it's too important. Yeah, and I, I just think that voter apathy. I think a lot of people deserve the chance to like learn about it because if you grow up in a family or an environment where voting isn't important, you're not going to know. But I think that, yeah, voter apathy in this country is high. It's at um, an all-time high, for sure. Especially uh, with the snap election. Like, Trudeau basically... Nobody wanted it. No, no one wanted it. And the selfish prick did this. And now literally all he has done is just Shift cost money. Around. Yep. Because of running an election to end up with the exact same government mm-hmm. that you had before. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like last night I went to bed and NDP was at 29 seats and so they gained five, right? And Block was down. And I was like, okay, I can live with that. At least NDP got more seats. Like I'm still angry at Trudeau for this. It's still a fucking waste of money. And it's still a stupid power grab that didn't even fucking work. Uh, but, but then I woke up this morning and, and NDP only has 25 seats. So they only gained one and like, still it's a gain, not a loss, but it's still upsetting, right? It's still the like, wow, if only we had a few more NDP votes, right? Like yeah. instead they went to block. So it's just, yeah, it's, um, it's hard to watch. I did watch all the speeches, not Maxime Bernier's. I don't give a fuck. About um, him, no, but, he can die um, <laughs> but I, 
I watched the speeches. Um, I feel bad for Anami Paul because while I do have my issues with the Greens, she has had a hell of a fucking time becoming and, and maintaining leadership in the in the Green Party, including her whole party turning against her right before this election. Yeah, like um, within the past year, she's had a hell of a fucking yeah. go. And she she was fourth. She placed fourth in her riding of Toronto Centre. And so there's a lot going on there that I'm, you know, I feel bad. Like as a black woman, that's a big struggle that that, that I think is not uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Know? And so it's... Uh, yeah, so I feel, I feel like, bad for her. her I feel like getting is... in in the ridings though in Toronto area is also just yeah. the most obscene rat race ever. Well, like, that if you riding look... went conservative though, and it generally doesn't. So that was a blow. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's yeah. and that's just it though too. And they were talking about this on the local radio because, of course, I was listening to all the follow ups today um, about the fact like, and it's it's weird. You look at Ontario, and you'd never guess that the vast majority of our votes actually were liberal because. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some ridings that encompass very, very large mm-hmm. rural areas that have a tendency to go conservative. So then you look at Ontario and it looks like it's really blue, but then you zoom into like the densely packed GTA and everywhere else yeah. and you see the red. But those votes hold so much friggin' weight behind it because yeah, there's so I many mean, different ridings within there. Southern and there's Ontario so many people. hosts the majority of Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of them are dispersed amongst the top part of the Canada. And the- in the of other the provinces Canada. of Canada is what I meant to say. And then, I know, we'll refer to it as the Canada. <laughs> and then below that line, below the Great Lakes line, that's where the majority of us live. Oh, I know. So when you look at all the ridings in Aria, it's really, really tightly condensed. But yeah, it's so I watch the conservative speech. Aaron O'Toole, I don't know if they'll keep him, but I think they will. And the reason I think they will is because he is a very suave speaker. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about. He has played this whole game of like, I'm not as conservative as the last conservative people. I'm actually very forward thinking. It's not my fault that the other conservative MPs don't, you know, care about these issues because that's just their freedom to do whatever. Right. Like, and he's just very, he said in his speech four times, which is very smart of him. He's like, Trudeau is just going to threaten another election in 18 months. You know, and he's probably, well, he's probably he's not probably wrong, not wrong, but well, it's because just, Trudeau but said, said that himself. He did, and that's what he's going off of. But he then he mentioned it four times in his speech. He's riling them up. He's getting conservatives ready to fight, and uh, and he's very smart in doing that, which scares me. Yeah. So, and then uh, Jagmeet Singh's speech was just it was still full of hope, and he said, you know, I'm going to continue to fight for you guys. We're we're going to continue to get things pushed through that are beneficial to everyone. And, and, and that was just kind of like, I was like, <laughs> even through all of this, Jagmeet Singh is still hopeful. Right. And that's, yeah. that was huge. And then Trudeau's, I was just kind of like, Oh my God, it's one thirty in the morning. Shut up. <laughs> this whole fucking election is your fault. Yeah. Waste. No one cares that you won. It's just so really. disheartening. Like it's just so yeah, it's just so disheartening to it's watch. It's not the like worst this. case scenario, no. but it sure as hell isn't the best. No, and I think one of the things that comes out of this is that it's really easy, even for myself, and I usually logically already know all these things, but I think it's really easy during elections to get really caught up in the hype of, you know, the NDP is very active on social media. They're very active on TikTok. They're very active on just making sure that they're addressing things with youth and 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 yet to see them not really budge federally, just really, like, as you watch the polls come in across the country and you watch these maps filling in colors, 
it really just puts it back into perspective that like the NDP really don't have a lot more traction than they used to, at least not yet. And there's still so many, so many Canadians that would much rather vote center or right. And that is so disheartening every time because it just feels really hopeless, even for somebody like myself who thinks that positive change will come. Um, I think it will too, but I mean, it's, it's, it's also just that awakening point. Like we've discussed this on a number of issues in the past. It just really shows how small your bubble of the world is because we obviously invest ourselves into things that we want to see as particularly Mm -hmm. politically things that we want to see happen, things that we want to see change, which means the algorithms are fed to us a certain way. And it just, it reads stronger Mm -hmm. than it actually is. And it is very easy to get swept up in that and not see from a broader picture and realize that no, there's still a lot of people who don't see things that way and that aren't seeing these messages. I mean, like it's even us, like we can preach until the cows come home. And I, I thank all of you loyal listeners who are here with us uh, listening every week, but like we don't have an incredibly large fan base or following base either, Mm -hmm. which is also unfortunate because I feel like we, we could be, people who could be encouraging these change yeah. if we had the platform to do so. Yeah. But I mean, also we're competing against 600,000 other podcasts, <laughs> people of more notoriety than us. But I mean, we're, we'll still talk about it anyways, for sure. But it's just like, there's, it's really hard to reach mm-hmm. outside of your own bubble and remember that there is so much more than that, especially when you're convinced that like, you're trying to push for a positive yeah. change. You're pushing for good things. Although, we know we've made it now because we did get a one-star oh review. Oh my god, we got a one-star <laughs> review. We have a hater. It's not... They didn't write anything. They didn't write anything angry. So it was it was one of those, like, subtle fuck yous. But yeah, somebody <laughs> listened to the podcast and hated it. Oh my so. god. <laughs> I died. And I mean, we've speculated about any number of people it could be. Ultimately, yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, do you? We don't really care much. But... Uh, it was hilarious because it was like, oh, yeah, we're officially making it summer because we've got someone who hates us enough to leave a one star. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so that was the thing. Uh, so yeah, that's, that. I mean, that's pretty much it where we're at for elections. Hold on to your butt cheeks and keep, <laughs> keep an eye out yeah. for the next 18 months when Trudeau pulls the shady bullshit again and calls yet another election. He better not. Yeah. Uh, like, I know he threatened it, but here's the thing, Trudeau. I hope he's paying attention to how much the Conservative Party is going to push that because they're going to they're going to talk about it yeah. for the next eighteen months. Oh, yeah. And if Trudeau does it, everybody's going to be like, "Wow, predictable." We already knew this because O'Toole was talking about it. I guess we can trust O'Toole. That's what's going to happen. Trudeau, yeah. so he's going to fucking step in mud and never be able to get out of it. And mm-hmm. it's yeah. and it's going to has the potential to harm us all. So yeah, I know he's yeah. He's not my first choice. He's not the worst choice, but uh, no. It, it, it could have been no. worse. We could have been here and we could have been a lot more upset, crying, and angry. Yeah, I think I just feel... Blah. Yeah, very meh. Very... And, and, and I am angry. I am angry that, like, I know that this is not how federal budgets work, so I'm, I'm prefacing this before I say what I'm going to say next. But for us to set, spend, for every election to cost about 600 million dollars or whatever they said it cost. I think it's 600 million. They said for it to cost that much money and come out with this result because Trudeau was cocky enough to think that he could do better. 
and didn't want to have to answer to anybody else in the middle of a pandemic. And so he, and especially I think Jugmeat. So I think he was like, well, if I can get a majority. And it's just so, it's like, we, you know, we have people who literally can't afford to live in this pandemic. And you are spending $600 million on an election that is wholly unnecessary. And then it didn't do anything, you know, like, and I mean, I shouldn't say that. Getting a few more left-leaning seats or center-left-leaning seats will be helpful when it comes to pushing through, you know, the possibility of universal basic or guaranteed basic income and things like that. But it's just like, like it didn't do enough to warrant no. that much money. I mean, like when we look at, and one of the things that I that I get really frustrated with is because Justin Trudeau is PM, people think that the two thousand dollars CERB was his doing. Yeah, no. It was not. He wanted to give $1,000. The reason why it was 2000 is because Jugmeet Singh would not sign off on it until it was 2000 Like, and this is the thing that gets lost in translation is people don't give the credit to Jugmeet. They give it to Trudeau. So when these elections come, they go, Trudeau's doing a great job for the pandemic, so therefore... And it's like, Trudeau is doing the, the bare minimum. Well, he's doing just above the bare minimum. The conservatives have done the barest of minimums. Mm. <laughs> but he can't lead without being checked because otherwise people still hurt. Can yeah. you imagine anybody who needed CERB going on, going on that for $1,000 a month this year? People oh, would have... I know. People, like, the eviction levels would be even higher than they already are. Oh, like, yeah. it's just... it's. It's not enough. And I find that the liberals do, pardon me, the liberals do that because they're so fucking chicken shit and stingy. They're like, we're going to do the thing, but we're only going to do the thing a little bit. Whereas Jagmeet's like, nope, must be livable. Must be livable, you know? And it's, so anyway, at least it's a minority and not a majority. I, I think going into a pandemic right now with a majority would be a bad thing. It would be. Oh, it would be awful. I would not encourage that at all. Um, speaking of the conservatives doing the barest of minimums, they were also highlighting on the local radio too that uh, Doug Ford has been in hiding for a while, but he sure as shit showed up last week to promote the Tim Horton Smile Cookie Week. Oh my god! And he's like, folks, I've had the privilege to be at my local Tim Hortons every day. Shut up, Doug. <laughs> yeah, it's your privilege to go to Tim Hortons, Dougie. <laughs> god, I hate that man. I also really hate. Jason Kenny. Oh, I know. Oh, God, Alberta is suffering. I'm over it. Uh, I'm also okay, so. <laughs> speaking of holding on to your butt cheeks from earlier. <laughs> time to pivot. <laughs> time to pivot to another rant. And this one, if you're personal friends with me on Facebook, you've already seen my rant that I wrote out this week. I'm about to get very angry. I like how he prefaces it, and I'm just like, anger! <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, no, I'm I'm giving you all the warning. I am going to get heated in this discussion because I I was so upset. Mm-hmm. So last week after rehearsal, a few of us went out for drinks. We wanted to talk about some things, and the one girl who plays opposite me in the show, she had already been really upset at rehearsal, and I hadn't really known why, but I wasn't really one to pry. Whatever. So we go out, we're talking, we're shooting the shit. Um, and then conversations kind of got serious because it was noticed that she had some bruises on her arms. And 
she ended up confiding in us that she had gone on a date last weekend in Guelph. She is a University of Guelph student. And she went on a date. And the guy, after they had dates inside the pub, the guy invited, said, oh, I've got some tequila in the car. You want to come have some drinks? She said, eh, sure, why not? And he drugged her. He drugged her. She doesn't remember the rest of the night. And she woke up with bruises. And she woke up with her face incredibly sore. And I'm sorry, I should have also prefaced this with a trigger warning for people because we're about to talk about, obviously, um, sexual abuse and, and, sexual, correla assault. and mm -hmm. sexual assault and correlated topics. She is a 20-year-old girl who was drugged and raped. Why is this a thing, gentlemen? There are stories coming out of Western University of over 30 females drugged. To which at first the media was speculating on because of the fact that no one came forward about it. Because you know what? There's still a lot of fucking shame and stigma around a goddamn woman coming forward to express that she has been drugged and violated yep. and sexually assaulted. What in the actual fuck is going on in these goddamn universities right now? I sat there and it was myself and four women. And we went around the table and every single one of them told me a story about something horrendous to that effect happening with men. And I know, I've known from stories because I've had a lot of women in my life who have confided in me. I've heard things. I've known this has been an issue. I know that you can pretty much talk to any woman in your life and they will have these kinds of stories. Oh, yeah. But to sit there and see the physical aftermath of some, like, with someone who, yes, it's a very recent friendship, but, like, doesn't any, matter. anyone who knows me also knows that I'm just a fiercely protective person, period. It doesn't matter how and much just, you know them, though. But, and that's just yeah. it, is, like, to see that physical aftermath, it made me so upset. My mind started racing of every option. Who do I know in Guelph? Who can I get in contact with? How can I go about fucking doing something about this? You know, I asked her for his name and she didn't feel comfortable giving it because she wasn't even sure if it was his actual name that he gave her. Um, and she sat there questioning herself. Like, we got upset and I sat there and I watched her going through the process of blaming herself. Of sitting there and going, I kind of suspected something when he was pouring the drinks behind me, but I wasn't sure. So, I mean, I made my choices too. No! No! That is... Not the fucking case ever. At no given point should anyone have to worry about being fucking drugged because they've gone on a goddamn date. Like, I swear to fuck, if I am ever somewhere where I've seen that happen, I will likely end up in jail because I'm just going to smash that guy's face in. I don't care. I'm so pissed off right now because I remember this being a, a thing in my high school days, hearing about it and hearing about awful, awful things and the warnings of it. And it died down in my early 20s, or at least I just didn't hear about it because I wasn't existing in those circles. And I thought, okay, maybe we're drifting away from this. Maybe, you know, the culture is shifting. And now we're seeing this disgusting resurgence because on top of the 30 women that were 
drugged at Western University in London, Ontario, there was posts online orchestrating another larger attempt to drug even more women. Thankfully, people outside of that got a hold of that information and started spreading it around. And to my there knowledge... There was a huge march uh, at, at Western recently about this. Like, huge. I, yeah. I sat there listening to these women's stories and it brought me to fucking tears. I was so upset and angry because I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I sit there... And listen to these stories as a cisgendered male and get so upset because I know walking down the street that women will reflexively be scared of me mm-hmm. just walking by them because they don't know. You would like to, to walk down the street and go by me. I'm a big, burly, scary <laughs> looking dude. Yeah. I acknowledge this fact, you know, to some extent. And uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've used it in... In my favor when walking past other guys yeah. because I'm like, don't fuck with me. Um, That's very different, though. So. It's, it's so yeah. different. And, it, like, I just know that there's nothing I can do to make a woman feel safe around me until she actually knows me. Yeah. And even then, we can know... Me- like, this is one of the things. And one <sighs> of the things we realize when... For example, when we idolize celebrities or whatnot, and then we find out, oh, I thought this was a good one, but it turns out he has a sexual assault background and whatnot, and it's just, it's, or like, you know, the politicians, like, this person has caused harm to people, what, like, what, and I don't know exactly what all of that harm was, but I'm just saying, like, even the ones we think we trust. Uh, well, and that's know. just, that's just it. One of the other girls sitting at the table was saying that it happened with uh, her friend's roommate. Mm-hmm. Who she had hung out with on plenty of occasions. And, you know, the, or it was a, another friend who th- she thought was creepy. Knew that she kind of liked the roommate uh, and used that against her. And played it and set it up and orchestrated four of them. Drugging her and ganging up on her. Yep. I don't know I mean, how... I don't, I don't know how to express my condolences to to women in general who have had to endure this because the best way to do that is to call out other cis men on their bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. It's and Um, like that, that goes for any of our listeners too. Like if you've got boys who like to crack the odd joke here, this shit is not funny. This is why rape, it, it, it never should have been funny. Like, this is why we have the stigma. This is why rape jokes aren't funny. This is why any time I hear somebody, like, say rape out of context because they haven't learned yet, you know, the why that's problematic, I get really upset. And I will, I'm not nice about calling them out on it. Like, we don't, I, I literally say to people, do we joke about rape? Do we think that's funny? Because it's not. It's and, not. like, I will say, as a, as a kid who was born in the 90s, I was literally born in 1990, and went to school in the early 2000s, I made my share of rape jokes when I was younger. Like, we yep. all did. And it's unfortunate. It, but that was part of the stigma. And this is part of the reason why we don't come forward now. I mean, I, I had, I've had a couple of situations that were really difficult for me. Um, there was a, a... I was at a, a, a local group that or a local event that was um, very LGBT, like, women-focused and, and what. It's, a, it's an event called uh, Cliterature where you share um, stories, like, uh, erotica that you've written, things like that for people. Like, it's a really, really great event. 
But one of the years that it was held, there was a woman there with, like, she had come because of the group that I helped run at the time, uh, which was a, a women who like women group. And she had come because of us. And I had told her several times that she was getting too close to me. And I had told her, like, so it's not just men that do this. It is predominantly men. <laughs> Cis men. Um, but, uh, but I told her no many times. And then she still kissed me point blank on the lips in front of everybody and I asked her not to and it was a really really upsetting situation and I would have no problem telling somebody that that's part of sexual assault when I you know if it was them but for me it was really hard to I was like well it was just a kiss I shouldn't have to explain to people why that was upsetting to me but it was and and the actual like it was an awful situation but the <laughs> the piece that was the hardest was telling the others that I ran this group with afterwards and having and saying to them, we need to address this because I'm an organizer. But if this had happened to a member, they would never feel safe coming back if we didn't address it. And I was immediately dismissed by the rest of my fellow organizers. They were all older than me by, you know, five years, a decade, a couple of decades. And they just did not see it as pertinent that we do anything like, Oh, we don't need to get involved. I don't think that's an us issue, blah, blah, blah. They didn't want to take responsibility for it. So they didn't. And, and that was more upsetting. Like I actually started to disconnect from the group then. Um, and I no longer help run this group in part because the experience of telling people about this, other women telling other women about this and having them not take it seriously was more traumatic than what had happened to me. And then there was another situation. This was men at, um, I went to Chainsaw. So anybody from our region, Chainsaw is a karaoke bar. Was. Was, was, yeah. It's closed now. <laughs> it closed during exist. COVID, but it was a very popular. University. University bar and, and karaoke drink. And uh, I went with a friend. This was 2014. I went with a friend. It was kind of my like goodbye night thing. Cause I was moving to Ottawa for a year. For a job and we went out and this uh and so i had put my name in for karaoke and at this place it takes forever to get called up when it's busy so we finally heard my name we were several drinks in we'd met met up with this like group of, there were three dudes that had come cisgender white dudes that had come over two of them were a little older than one of them was this young like hot looking dude who was hitting on my friend and i made it very clear that i'm gay and i don't think that they were interested in me but uh, we were shooting the shit and then my name gets called up. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go sing. And then my friend, because we were both tipsy, gets up and she's like, I'm going to go watch her sing. And we left the pitcher of beer there. And we came back and we both had a couple more beers and didn't even think about it because these dudes just seemed nice and decent. And we weren't thinking about it. And uh, and then eventually they were like, we're going to go get stoned. Do you want to come over? And we were like, sure. So we all Uber back to their place. And, and we start noticing that like both of us seem so drunk. Like, way drunker than I've ever gotten off of a couple of beers. And it wasn't until afterwards that I realized I think we had been drugged. Um, but we go over there. We're chatting with them. The two friends of this dude um, bring me outside. And we were just, you know, smoking. And, um, and I go back inside and I see that my friend is on Hot Dude's bed. 
And I immediately, all of my red flags went off and I, and I like immediately sobered up and was like, oh no, we've got to go. And I picked up that friend and I was like, we have got to go. (laughs) And I dragged her out and, and the guy was like, what are you doing? And, and I was like, and, and I, you know, the only things I remember from the night are, I remember him, I remember seeing his credit card for some reason and and seeing that his first name was Andrew. (laughs) Ha ha, not you, but (laughs) it's a very common name, (laughs) but I remember seeing his first name was Andrew. I don't remember what his last name was. And I remember the layout of his apartment. It was a basement apartment. I remember where, like roughly where the apartment was located in Kitchener. And and I remember roughly what they all looked like. But I don't remember any other details, right? And so I picked her up. We got ready to go. She was so drunk that she vomited all over his stuff, which was the silver lining. And he got really angry in that moment. And I was like, we're going. And then we taxied to the police station. And the police station, at the police station, um, the police officer that we were talking to, like, we were just inebriated. I've never been, like, I already don't drink that much. But when I tell you that, like, we went from tipsy to drunk real fast i mean it (laughs) and so that's how i know that there were some sort of drug involved um but the police officer couldn't get any relevant information from me because i couldn't remember enough and he said well why don't you guys sleep on it and come back and, and let us know and i never went back because i just held so much shame around it i for the longest time i unfortunately part of me blamed my friend for it because she was known for getting into really sticky situations while drinking and yet then felt immense guilt around that because it was neither of our fault that this happened and then also felt a lot of guilt around it myself like I should have known I should have known better I shouldn't have left the pitcher of beer we shouldn't have gone back and had any drinks you know like uh we shouldn't have we shouldn't have gotten into a uber with them and gone to their place you know like it's just you in those moments and now with so much hindsight like that was a long time ago but now with so much hindsight I'm sitting there being like well of course like one, we were inebriated. You, your, your ability to make some, like quote unquote smart decisions or like coherent decisions when you're inebriated is not high. And and also, you shouldn't have to worry about somebody taking advantage of you. No, and that's like she, this this poor girl that I know that's gone through this too. She's going through the same struggles of going to the police and feeling shamed because I told yep. her, uh, like, because I I have personal connections with Guelph's mayor. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to his wife because I know that he personally is typically very busy. Mm-hmm. But I reached out and I explained the situation. She talked to him and she came back to me and she was like, first off, like this, she needs to go to the police with that information. It is 100%, you know, uh, illegal actions that and like there needs to be repercussions mm-hmm. for it. The good news out of COVID and contact tracing is that the restaurant has his name and phone number. Oh, yeah, good. So that's a thing these days. If anyone needs to go and report a sexual assault and you've been out during fucking COVID times. But she just, she didn't want to go because she felt, she was like, they're just, they're going to look at me like I'm this dumb university girl. Whatever. And I was like, no, like, no, there's at no given point should a woman at any age have to deal with this. The problem is, though, is that she's probably right they would look at her like she's a dumb university girl that's the problem is that when i walked into that police station i was practically holding up my friend we were not like we were very clearly not okay she's got the physical markings on her and like we didn't have any of that like i don't even know if he'd actually touched my friend or not but like it was not i was like this is not good 
And I remember feeling really let down by that police officer and, and just like, it was a, he was a white male cisgender police officer. And I just don't think he wanted to deal with it. I think he just thought we were two silly drunk girls who came in and, and thought we'd experienced something. And, and he was like, well, if it's important, they'll come back, which is like, no, the moment we were turned away from there, I never went back because I couldn't remember enough details and I just figured it would die. Right? Like, I just figured there's no way they're going to be able to get anywhere. Instead of in the moment being like, do you know roughly where this person is? Do you know, like, because if they'd asked me those questions, I knew that this person worked for Canada Post because the, his uniform was in the hallway. I, and these were things I remembered after. I knew that I had seen his first name. I knew, like, I could give enough information that they could probably at least start looking into their systems to see if they could find somebody. And, uh, but no, I was turned away because we were too inebriated drunk girls in our 20s right and that's and I just felt so much I held so much shame around that for a long time that I have barely told anybody the story because it just I always felt like I had just been really stupid and it's it's I think the hardest thing for me too in hearing your stories Mm -hmm. the stories of these other women all of the stories that I've heard is knowing that the odds of me ever having to have that experience is negligible yeah it's not to say that sexual assault for males doesn't happen. Like that's, mm-hmm. that is an entirely separate rant. That's an entirely separate thing to deconstruct and go through. In this case right now, I want to put the focus on women mm-hmm. and what happens to them because the really, really unfortunate and harsh truth is that Men take advantage of the fact that they are physically stronger than a lot of women. Yep. And will literally stronghold them into these situations. They will just do the most despicable things. And to know that I can only ever hear these stories from women and just have it destroy my heart because I can't do anything for them. Yep. Other than speak up and speak out against it is... It, and this it's is just, it's awful. This is part of the problem. Like, so the, so the women that failed me from, you know, that in, in what was that? Like 2018, maybe the women that I ran this, you know, volunteer based women, loving women, organ like, you know, meetup group with, they failed me because they didn't want to deal with it because for them, they didn't want to take any liability and they didn't want to, they didn't want to address it. And so I shut down because of that and then they got upset with me for being distant and for being angry and whatnot and it was just this like so it's also within circles of women like we have we have sewn into society this idea that you you know you don't say anything you don't deal with it if somebody says something problematic don't address it just move on right and it creates this world where like you know, it's funny how, you know, we talk, and funny, I, I don't mean funny, haha, how so many, so many women, like, you can talk to almost any woman in your life, and any woman, like, non-binary women, trans women, cisgender women, and we will all, or at least most, have some sort of sexual harassment, sexual assault experience of some sort being touched in a way we didn't want to, having our bras snapped as kids, like things that should not be acceptable and yet are quote unquote funny jokes, right? Things that like we grew up with in society that are actually sexual assault, you know, and nobody addresses it. 
like we like the amount of like so the amount of women is almost all right like it's it is 98 or 99 percent of women or whatever the number is it's enough Um, to say all women yep and and yet nobody knows a man who has done any sexual assaulting and part of that is how we frame what sexual assault actually is Part of that is how we excuse the, you know, the, the boys will be boys narrative plays into that. Whenever I hear people say, oh, well, boys will be boys, I get so angry because I'm like, that's how boys get away with this. Yeah. I fucking hate oh. that narrative. Like, and I am a cisgendered male. I benefit from these systems mm-hmm. and I hate them. Yeah. They are fucking garbage. It's yeah. how, it's, it, it's the same systems that perpetuated bullying. Mm-hmm perpetuates bullying it's the same pieces of shit that i saw treat people like assholes all the way through school and it has carried into their adult lives we're we're not talking about children making poor choices here we're talking about grown-ass adults and yet even it does even impact children making poor choices because i had a friend reach out to me after i had posted this on facebook and she said thank you for sharing this information because I just found out that my 10-year-old niece had been beaten by her now 13-year-old ex-boyfriend. And we just found this out. And she shared the message with her sister because she said, thank you for showing that there are, you know, men who are out there standing up willing to talk about this. I am never going to not talk about this now because this just, again, I've heard it before, but this time it just, with it, physically being there it just it struck a chord differently with me and it's just got me so upset and bothered that i'm just like i will never not be vocal about this now because men are fucking trash and that's one of the things that we need to make it more mainstream so that it doesn't take that kind of physical example of it to get riled up about it right like we need more men to confront men about this when a when a dude and you're in your group makes a joke like, oh, I'm going to hump your leg when you're not looking or whatever, right? Like, those are the things that need to be addressed. Those are the like, no, you're not. No, that's, do you understand the, do you understand why what you said is not okay? It's the, your friend makes a rape joke and you say nothing about it, right? That's, those things need to stop. Men need to hold other men accountable don't just let it pass because if you're letting it pass you're letting it potentially happen to somebody because this friend thinks it's okay to just take advantage because it's been a funny joke in the past right and men need to take this on because it is often not safe for women to engage in these in in these conversations with dudes because they will get aggressive they'll either get extremely defensive or they get aggressive about it or or they look at all their dude friends around them and they laugh and they go, oh, it was just a joke. Don't take it so seriously. And then we sit there and go, okay, now I just feel unsafe in general. And and a lot of the time, the other men around, these generally cis white men, don't say shit. And like this, this starts with them in their teenage years too. Yeah. So if you've got kids at home Earlier than and that. you hear these kind of jokes happening, kids, shut it down. It happens in elementary school. I, I will... Any of my friends who have kids, look the fuck out now. Because if your kid cracks a joke like that, I don't give a shit what relation I am to you or them. They will be put in their place. Yeah. Because we cannot stand this. We cannot see this continued sick resurgence of this kind of shit happening in universities. No one deserves 
that kind of disrespect. No one should have to fear for their safety because of being in presence of, in the presence of a person. Like it's, I, Uh, we also live in a society where like men literally will not let women alone at bars and clubs. Like women will either have to say like women could say I'm gay and they will still pursue them until you say, I have a boyfriend. He's coming soon. And then all of a sudden the man's like, oh, sorry, like hands off. Oop, can't touch you because another man's got you. Like this is still so prevalent in society right now. I've had so to play, prevalent. I've had to play fake boyfriend mm-hmm. for so many friends over the years. And it's always been the ha ha moment because it's like, well, you know, like whatever. Ha ha. I'm, I'm, I'm a gay guy. So yeah, I'll be your yeah. fake boyfriend. It's no problem. And I'm now in retrospect looking at it and going, that's really awful that these women had, like, I have no problem doing it. But it's really awful that we've ever been at a point where that has to happen. I mean, yeah, it's and and that's the thing is that more men need to pay attention to what's happening around them, right? Like, if you see a woman looking visibly uncom- uncomfortable, step in. Yeah. And if it ends up being nothing, then it's nothing. But at least you stepped in in case it wasn't nothing. I think we live in this we live in the society that's very like oh. Hands off, don't don't deal with it, it's not my business. And people get harmed because of it. Because we just let, predominantly, cis white men get, you know, run rampant with their desires. Well, and you need to encourage it with your friend groups, and not just as an individual. Mm-hmm. Because uh, this girl told me, too, that at the University of Guelph campus, that a dude did step in one night. But there was three other guys and they jumped him and beat the shit out of him. And three other guys came along, not friends with him, and stood there. It's disgusting. Stood there and watched as this one dude who tried to stand up for the safety of these women. And, like, the point was proven when we left fucking bar lat- that night. We were in downtown Kitchener. We left Bobby O'Brien's. And sure as fuck, not more than ten feet up the goddamn street... Three guys start catcalling the women. I was bringing up the rear of it, and I promise you, my mask was up, and they got fucking caught eye something fierce, and they kind of didn't say much after all of a sudden they realized that I was watching them as they were saying their shit. I mean, I've walked down the street, like, I tend to, so when I get more into my running again, and also in the past when I've been into my running... I run at night because it's just a lot, it's a lot easier time-wise for me. It's a lot, like, I prefer being alone. It's cooler. I do not like running in any sort of heat. Like and it's more me. solitary, right? But the problem is, is that like I have a, I have a whole light up vest. I have a whole, you know, like I have all the safety things. We are also not allowed in Canada to conceal a weapon. So if I'm going to run with a weapon, I need to run with my knife. Like I have a knife. I need to run with it literally exposed on my belt so that it's not ugh, hidden. Um, and it can't be, it can't be carried to be used as a weapon. We're not allowed to carry pepper spray. We're not allowed to carry any of these self-defense things. We're actually not allowed to carry these in Canada because they're weapons, right? And 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 while, like, most of the time I'm pro not carrying weapons around, we don't have a lot of things that can protect ourselves with. And I have had countless occasions while out running or walking or whatever um, at night where I have had men coming up behind me on the sidewalk and I start to get really nervous because they're gaining on me. It's probably just that they're a faster walker than me, but not always. And, and it's, I can't know that. It's like, again, it's that whole poison Skittles theory. It's that, you know, you've got a bowl of poison Skittles and five of them are not poison. Are you going to stick your hand in it? 
like, you know, as per the quote unquote, not all men. Uh, yes, all men. <laughs> yeah. Um, all fucking is, men. This is the thing is I can't know. I can't, I can't know. And there are times where I like start to consistently look behind me and I get really nervous. And, and instead of crossing the street, they just persist because one, they're probably not paying attention to it, but also too, some of them find it funny. I have been laughed at before, but like by like men who are behind me and kind of snickering because they're like, Oh, why is she so nervous? Why does she think I would jump her? Because I think you actually might jump me. There are certain times where I have caught myself at night because I didn't realize how late it was and I was just minding my own business. And also because of my ADHD, sometimes I'm not paying attention to that. And I will get out really late and I'll be walking through a park and I'll realize, holy fuck, I shouldn't be walking through a park at this time of night. And then I'm just kind of stuck there. I have had countless occasions where I have ended up in a situation like that and I've heard a rustling in the bush and I have literally never ran faster in my life. And it's all these like, and then immediately afterwards I feel stupid. I'm like, fuck, I shouldn't have got myself into that situation. And the flip side to that is I've never, and again, it's just, it. it's so disheartening to me to hear because I've gone out at any and all given hours of the night and not once has that ever had to have been a concern to me. There's been a little bit of concern because in my head I've been worried as a gay male about getting jumped and beaten up for that fact. Yeah. But then I also acknowledge that like, I am a very straight passing gay male <laughs> in my later yeah. years. So it has definitely worried me a lot less. But like I, I have literally never had to worry yeah. about walking downtown more than the average person at whatever fucking time of night because the fuck are you gonna do to me? Like, yeah. yeah. I I don't I just don't have that worry. And it's so scary and upsetting to know that that is always, always there for women. And again, that like there's yeah. Other than speaking up and being vocal and doing the best I can to not give reason for women to intentionally worry. Like, I I try to intentionally be cognizant of it now. Like, yeah. if I'm walking by a woman, if it does look like she's leery around me or whatnot, that I give distance. Mm-hmm. That I do what I can so that she does feel safe and doesn't feel like I'm trying to. Um, it's just... Yeah. It's so fucking terrible. And we need to have these conversations... You need to be calling out people actively. You need to share this information around to your friends. If you have people who are in university right now, please, 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 if they're not aware of this, please touch base with them and make sure that they are aware that drugging is a serious problem going around the universities right now. It's not just Western. It is very clearly spreading to other areas. If you are local to the University of Guelph, it is obviously very much a problem there right now. Uh, The party scenes, from what I'm hearing, are just outrageously out of control. And I don't know if it's just because people were cooped up for almost two years and they're just getting to finally see each other. Like, this stems to the whole university kids not wearing masks Mm -hmm. and pulling this kind of shit. It's like all of a sudden two years went by and they forgot how to exist as fucking people with each other. So I don't know what the answer is other than... Please start having these discussions. Please check in on your friends who are in university. Make sure that they're aware. Make sure that they're safe and spread these messages yeah. around because... And call out your fucking bros. Like, yeah. I, like, I just... That whole, like, really gross saying of, like, bros before hoes. Like, people actually live that mantra, right? And it's just kind of like, no. <laughs> call out the fucking bros in your life if they're being problematic. You have got to stop saying it's just locker room talk. Yeah, fuck your locker room talk. I promise you. 
<laughs> you want some locker room talk? Come talk with me in the locker room. That's I'll make but, you real fucking. No, no, no. But this Let's is go. this is the thing, right? Is that and this is actually a really relevant piece to this is that cis men get real uncomfortable the moment a gay man is near and starts talking about anything sexual, even if it has nothing to do with them. It'll be just like near and around, or you'll be in a locker room, for example, and you'll be talking about a sexual encounter you had with another dude who was also gay or a dude that you thought was hot. And these, these men get so insecure about it and so terrified about it and will get angry and, or report you and, or beat you up and, or, you know, all these things because they are afraid that they are going to be treated the exact same way that they treat women. Yeah. They're so like the, which also like for for the first uh, vast majority of you, first and foremost, don't fucking flatter yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like just, just saying no. Um, But it's also just like, like, and like, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, you know, that, that, that gay men have treated men that way and that gay men have sexually assaulted. But let me just say, that also just that reconfirms that like until we accept sexual assault in women, we can't even begin to address it in men because no. we, like the majority of sexual assaults in men is actually conducted by other men. So it's like we don't even believe it in women. How are we going to address that? Like that's why when people are like men are sexual assault to do. Yeah, we're trying to address it all. Yeah. But you still refuse to accept that women are sexually assaulted by your friends. So, you know, I don't know where we're going to get with this. It's... Uh, and then you've got the U.S. literally passing laws that are in favor oh of God. these things. Q Texas. Well, and it's also just... You know, when we... When the women in your life see things like... And this is why it just fucking boggles my mind how many women, particularly white women... Because <laughs> whiteness is a disease. But who will, who will make excuses... For politicians who do shit like this. Yeah. And, and, and will say things like, oh, it was just in the locker room. It was just locker room talk. It was just this. Like, one of the biggest arguments for why there shouldn't be harsher pun- punishment for rapists um, is is that, like, well, what if, what if they were wrong? It would just ruin his life. That has been proven false over and over and over again. Trump is a great case in point. He literally ran his campaign off of just locker room talk and people fucking went for it. It doesn't ruin a man's life. But when you have to sit there and live for the rest of your life with the knowledge that you are unsafe and that you have been violated in any way, that does ruin lives. Yeah. The trauma from that for some people is something you never fully get over. No, it's, it's... And people think it's just like memories in your head. It is, it's not. It's full body memories. And sometimes that can be transferred over through generations. And it's horrendous. And like, it's, again, the the current situation that I'm dealing with, this poor girl, again, Friday night, she talked with it about us. And then I messaged her on Saturday to make sure she was okay and encouraged going to the police. And then Sunday she came to rehearsal and she was fine for pretty much the whole rehearsal. And then at the very end, she broke down and started crying again. Mm-hmm. Because... It is so traumatic and she's still trying to emotionally and mentally get past it. Especially, like, she's coming to terms with it because everyone who knows is being incredibly supportive and being like, it's not your fault. You don't have anyone to blame here. Like, this is a safe space. We want you to feel okay with us. So, I I can only 
begin to imagine how many emotions are going through this poor girl's head right now. Uh, I don't know that she listens to the podcast just yet, but if she does, I hope she knows how much um, my heart bleeds for her and how much I want to do everything I can to make sure she's got a safe space. Uh, I want all the women in my life to know how much I want to make a safe space for them and that I will always believe you. No questions asked. And if you ever do not feel safe in public and you know me, come up to me, please. I will do whatever I can to make it as safe for you as I can. And unfortunately, that is the best that I can offer, but the offer is there. I would much rather believe the victim or the survivor any every time and be wrong. 2% of the time. Not even, right? Yeah than the opposite because when we believe the aggressor over the survivor which is what happens constantly people get hurt some people never recover for it from it uh lots of sexual assault cases do end in suicide you know it's just these numbers are not something we talk enough about no um and it's not just about having the hotlines it's about making sure that we do the educating. And part of that is holding your friends accountable. When somebody you're close to says something really fucking problematic, you have to call it out. Because until we start addressing these things, like, head on, they're not going to get better. Victim blame culture needs to end. Yeah. And people need to stop being pieces of shit and they're only going to stop being pieces of shit if we start getting increasingly vocal about it. Mm-hmm. I have become very increasingly vocal over the past year and I'm not even remotely sorry about it. <laughs> I'm more sorry for the poor son of a bitch who's going to get the blunt end of it one day. Yeah. Well, uh, my dad once said to me that, uh, oh my God, Huntley is looking at, she's looking so angry. <laughs> Anyway, so she's sitting in a corner, for everybody listening, she's sitting in a corner, and she's just staring straight ahead, and she just looks so perturbed. Probably because she's hungry. I need she to go just has her. this arresting bitch face. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my dad once said to me that, uh, he said he said very, like, viscerally, he was like the, the, the immediate um, sentencing for somebody with, somebody who sexually assaults or rapes somebody should immediately be chemical castration, because... That can be reversed in the off chance that they, you know, that it was a false um, claim. claim. But that is so rare in comparison to all the real claims that um, the amount of men who would stop sexually assaulting when they knew that it would mean that their quote unquote manhood wouldn't work. And yet we won't take those measures because <laughs> the, the people who make our laws are predominantly men, cis white men, and they are afraid. Of the reality of that, because most, most men, most cis white men, um, especially straight men, <laughs> uh, have done something not great at some point in their life. Uh, the numbers are just too high. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember my dad said that and I was like, yeah, I agree. It should be. Absolutely. It should be a consequence that's actually going to mean something. Yeah. So fuck the patriarchy. Fuck these stupid pieces of shit who are doing this in university right now. And if I ever catch someone doing that, God's help them. Because I promise you, I go to the gym mostly for my own mental health. (laughs) 
but the strength is fully there, and your face is gonna find concrete real fast. <laughs> Just saying. And it will be self-defense. And so. I'm saying this with a smile. That should scare you more. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah, and to anybody who is currently or in the past struggling with this or has continuing memories of, of this, of sexual assault, we're sorry. And I'm we so sorry. are here for you and we believe you. And, um, and I know that's not much, but uh, I hope it's something. Yeah. So this has been an interesting week uh, <laughs> in terms of rants. Yeah. Uh, Election I... postmortem and a uh, big trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. Big old yeah. trigger warning. Uh, so thanks for staying tuned with us. Uh, thank you as always for those of you listening. Oh, we have a review to read. Oh yeah, we do. My phone's too dead. So you got to pull it up. Is it on Facebook? Or... No, it's no, on it was, uh, Apple. Apple, Google. Or no, wait, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. I'm sorry, I'm an, not an iPhone user, uh, <laughs> so I actually have to, like, view Apple Podcasts, like, weird. <laughs> yes, we have, we have an interview by, oh, 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 by Lula89, I don't know who you are, but... Uh, I think it might be my friend Louisa. Oh, maybe. But thank you for this lovely review. It's titled, It's Like... Dot, 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 dot family. (laughs) Uh, This podcast is so incredibly comforting to listen to. Chosen family is such an important and unsung aspect of our lives as adults, and I feel like one of the fam when listening. Thank you, A and B. Keep it up. I'll be listening. Um, That's so lovely. Thank you. Um, It helps counterbalance our one-star review. (laughs) So instead of just five stars, our podcast now rates at 4.6 4.6. So for any of our consistent listeners who love what we do, if there was Please ever a time to leave us a five-star review, now's the time. Uh, particu- particularly if you are an Apple podcast yeah. listener. Yes. Please, please go help balance that out. Please. I mean, it's, it's all well and dandy for us to joke about being like, haha, we, we made it, we have a hater, but, but also, also like... brought down our reviews by a lot because we don't have a ton of reviews. Yeah, so... so- Please Go help balance that here. off. Uh, as no. well, you can also make sure that you're following us on our socials, Sibling Rants on Instagram and on Facebook and at Sibling Rants Pod on Twitter. And of course, if you ever have things that you want to bring up, uh, messages you want to send us, whatever, you can slide into our DMs or fire us an email, siblingrants at gmail.com. Exactly. Um, I've got some incentive. Oh. The next five people to leave us a review get a personalized short duet from Andrew and I. Ooh, we gonna sing for you. Yeah. So if that's not incentive enough, I don't know what is. Because we got some pipes. I don't know. Or, I mean, or or if you're not a fan of singing and would rather just not, you can tell us, I'm doing this so that you don't send me a duet. <laughs> but because we won't necessarily know, so this is for people who leave us nice written reviews. Yeah, because otherwise we, the star, it doesn't tell us if you just leave stars. It's great, and we appreciate but them, but it doesn't give us a name attached to that. If you do, and I've seen other podcasts do this with like giving stickers and whatnot, but we can't afford to get stickers because we yet. make no money off of this yet. So so for now, this is, this is free labor. I am a trained singer. I should be charging for this, and so should Andrew. So I have I have been paid for my singing skills in the exactly. Past, so so, um, so leave us a if you leave us a written review, um, please screenshot it, particularly those on Apple Podcasts, but we will also accept Facebook because it helps us out too. Oh yeah, totally. And uh, screenshot it and send it to us, and uh, we will send you a personalized message. A little duet. We'll even. Duet. 
let you pick the song. I mean, it might take a little bit because if it's a song we don't know, we'll have, we'll to, have to work on it. <laughs> because we want to make sure that we're giving you good quality. Exactly. But you will get a personalized duet. So, I'm putting this out there. I did not run this by Andrew. I'm just nope, all intelligent. But I'm on so. board. <laughs> I'm here for it. So that, this is the new incentive to leave us a review. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode, or at least got something out of this episode. And then we'll we'll see see you next next week. week. Bye. Bye. Impact 21, Empty Space's 7th Biennial International Theatre Festival, has arrived. From September 28th to October 9th, you will see shows from Chile, Australia, Tunisia, India, and so much more. 40 powerful performances, both in person and online, that will keep you captivated and offer a world-class experience of international theater. You also won't want to miss Empty Space's brand new production, Black Flags, kicking off the festival in the first week with a cast of women telling their stories of trauma, grief, and healing in a harsh and unforgiving world. Adapted fully for COVID-19, we have tented in-person shows, outdoor movie screenings, and online streaming of nearly all shows to meet your comfort and needs. We can't wait to see you all in Kitchener-Waterloo to celebrate the reemergence of theater after a global pandemic. Theater is here.